Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you recall that I preached out of Mark chapter 5 on Tuesday night. And even now you're thinking, oh no, he's lost his mind. Um, he's, he's going back to the same place he was and, and he's going to do the same message again. But what I've discovered is that people always ask for the same songs over and over. Brother Rex, they do all the time. I mean, they want to hear the same song. We never get a chance to sing a new song because everybody wants to hear the same songs over and over and over again. So I figured, Brother Sal, why not just go ahead and preach the same message over and over again? Even if they don't ask, surely they want to hear it. Amen. <laughs> no, we're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Mark chapter number five. Would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Mark chapter five, beginning in verse number one. It says, and they came over into the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because they had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of that country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. I want to preach to you tonight on this subject. Dear Jesus, please go away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here today and we can, we can finish off another good day by being in your house and hearing your word and being challenged and encouraged and strengthened. Lord, we pray you do that tonight and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I mentioned to you on Tuesday night that in chapter 4, uh, they, uh, they are in a storm and, and that storm is so severe that they think they're going to die. And the disciples, who are men who spent much of their adult lives on this very body of water, uh, the ship is taking on water and they realize it's going down and things are getting ugly. And so uh, Jesus is asleep in the boat and they go and they wake him and, and say, Jesus, we, we're going to die. Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus does what Jesus does in storms. He stops the storm. 
He says, peace be still, and the storm stops. And then he rebukes them for their lack of faith, for not trusting him all along the way. And then, if you can get the picture in the mind, in your mind, they've come through this, this horrific storm, and the waves are, are, are roiling, and the winds are blowing, and, and the ship is going down, and, and then Jesus stops it all, and it calms, and then the night goes away, and the sun comes out. And they find themselves approaching the other shore. And now here they are on the other side. And over there, the disciples have just had this awful night where the adrenaline is rushing because they thought they were going to die. And they've been fighting the ship and fighting the storm. And they probably think to themselves... Once we get to the other side, we know what will happen. People will gather, Jesus will preach and teach and maybe do some miracles. And and while all that's going on, we can rest. We've been up all night. It's been horrible. The adrenaline's been pumping. And you know what happens when you when you're in a situation like that, where you're afraid or you're scared or you're working hard and and the adrenaline's going. Once it's over, you you crash. And you're just, you're just ready to sit down and catch your breath and maybe take a nap over to the side. And so here they are and they come to the other side. But when they get there, someone has been watching these events unfold. This is a man who lives up on the hillside in the tombs and he is at the lowest point of his life. He's lost everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his job. He's lost, he's lost his place in society. He has lost everything. He has lost his mind. He has nothing left to the point that he now lives among the tombs. You see, he used to be in town, but not anymore. And it got to the point where he stripped off his clothes and he ran through the streets and, and they said, let's, let's restrain him. This is not right. This is not good. And they put chains on him and he broke the chains. And so they, they captured him again and they put, they put shackles on him and, and he broke the shackles and, and he's become a terror. And now he runs through the streets and he's scaring people and he's breaking things and, and he's the biggest problem in town. And it gets so bad that now he's up on the, on the hillside in the tombs and his hair is matted and his beard is nasty and, and he, and he runs around naked and he cuts himself with stones and he's covered in scars and blood and he's probably got a chain hanging from this arm and a shackle from this leg and if he ever comes through town, they lock the doors and they make the kids go inside. It's horrific, it's scary, it's awful. You see, this man is possessed with devils. And they have done everything to him except take his life to this point. There's not much left. You don't get there overnight. You you don't clock out from work on Monday and Tuesday, be naked in the tombs, cutting yourself and screaming all night long. That's not the way that works. You see, this is the culmination of a process that started a long, long time ago. When he began to make wrong choices and wrong decisions and turn away from everything that was right and good and over and over reject everything that was decent and right and godly in his life until he got to the point where he is so overtaken by the devils that have possessed him that he hasn't had a clear thought in years until today. 
And on this day, he looks down there and, and maybe, maybe he saw this awful storm. No doubt it hit that side of the, of the sea as well. And he saw how bad it was. And then maybe he saw it just miraculously just stop. It didn't just start to go down and eventually go away. No, it just stopped immediately. And then the sun came out and suddenly here's this boat and these people getting out of the boat. And I don't know what he thought other than he looked down there and he must have said to himself, I wonder if he can help me. This is the first time that he's thought clearly in years. And so now he's on his way down the hill. Can you imagine as the disciples are there, they've gotten out of the boat. They think now it's going to be peaceful. They can rest. It's a beautiful day. The sun is out. They're trying to find a place under a tree where they can take a nap. And suddenly here comes this man down the hill naked, his hair sticking out like that. Scars and blood all over him, a chain here and a shackle there. And he's probably screaming as he's running down the hill. That's just what folks do, you know. And he's running down the hill and he's coming right at him. And suddenly their thoughts of a nice, peaceful, restful day are gone. And they realize this is not going to be just a peaceful, restful morning. Something bad is about to happen. And they probably, now I'm I'm taking liberty here, I understand. They probably assume a defensive posture. Would that not be the natural thing to do at this point? I mean, there's a naked screaming man running at you with scars and blood all over him. And, and he looks like somebody who's crawled out from under a rock. You would take a defensive posture at that point. Especially when you have Jesus there. And they don't want this guy to come tackle Jesus. And so they probably get in front of him. And they say, don't worry, Jesus. We got this under control. We're going to stop him. And Peter's probably got a rock. And John has got a stick. And, you know, James over here, he's got something in his hand. And they're ready. And they're going to tackle this guy. And they're going to take him down. And somewhere along the line, Jesus must have said to them, stop it. Quit that. Let him through. Jesus did that several times. You remember when the children were all coming in there all over him and, and the disciples said, let, let us, we're going to send them away. This is too much trouble. You remember what Jesus said? He said, stop it. <laughs> let him come. And he must have said this about that, this man as well. So just let him come. And so they probably stepped back, but one still got a stick in his hand just in case. They're ready. They're not going to let this get out of hand. And the man falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to worship. And somewhere along the line, Jesus says, come out. And the, and the devil said, now this is a weird passage. Jesus and the devils are having a conversation here. This is not something that happens every day. This is something unusual that's going on. And, and he says, come out. And the devil said, don't torment us. Don't do it. And, and Jesus said, what's your name? And he said, Legion, for we are many. Now, we don't know how many, but they do go into a herd of 2,000 swine. So it would not be a stretch if you wanted to think there are a couple thousand devils in this man. Listen, this man is a mess. He is so completely The playground of Satan that he has no control in his life at all. By the way, that's what happens when you give Satan portions of your life. It becomes his personal playground and you lose control. You lose control of all of it. So, oh, no, not me. I'll never lose. Oh, yes, you will. You turn it over to devils and you will lose control of that part. So uh, here he is. And Jesus said, what's your name? He said, Legion, for we are many. And then the devils 
Now, again, told you it's weird. The devil said, now, we know you're going to cast us out of this man. Can we please stay in this country? We like it here. Isn't that odd? Do do you suppose there are some places where the devil likes to be? Probably because he has more freedom to do what he wants to do in those places. I mean, it's it's his playground. And they said, we we like it here. Can we stay in this country? And strangely enough, Jesus says, sure. You can stay here in this country. Now, that's weird in and of itself, is it not? And then it's not that's not it. Then they said, there's a herd of pigs over there. Can we go? Uh, we know we got to come out of this man. You're, gonna, you're casting us out. We got to come out. Can we go into those pigs? And your Bible says Jesus gave them leave. In other words, in this, in this back and forth conversation, they said, can we stay in this country? Yes. Can we go into those pigs? And he says, go ahead. Go right ahead. And they go into the pigs, and immediately the pigs go running down the hillside, 2,000 of them. They jump off the cliff, and they drown themselves in the sea. Can you imagine how horrific that looked? I mean, they are just pouring over the cliffs, and they're going into the sea just like lemmings jumping off the cliff. But these are pigs, and they're big, and and it's ugly, and there they go, off into the sea. Now, does that make sense to you? I mean, if let's look at it from the perspective of these devils. They come out of the man, they go into the pigs, and then they immediately cause the pigs to, to kill themselves. Why would you do such a thing? Well, quite honestly, because that's all that the devil can do. He destroys. He doesn't make things better. He doesn't improve things. He doesn't make them more fun. He destroys That's all he can do. Now, over the course of some time, these devils have destroyed the life of this man, but they've not been able to take his life. Now they've gone from him into those pigs. How? This may be an odd question for a a Thursday night, but how do you ruin a pig's life? How how do you do that? Do you you make him become a drunk pig and and kick his piglets and cheat on his sow? You, you don't, you can't ruin a pig's life. I mean, it's a pig's life. You live in the slop. What are you going to do to the pig? There's only one thing left you can do to make it any worse. Just kill it. And so as soon as they get in, they do everything they can to damage the pigs. And that means killing them all. And they're gone. They jump off the cliff. They're dead. But the pig herders see all of that happen. And they run into town. And they say, whoa, you, you're not going to believe what happened. This, this boat pulled up and, and the guy from up in the, the crazy nut from up in the tombs, that scary guy, he's down there and he's talking to this guy who got out of the boat and he's acting normal and he's talking normal. And not only that, all of our pigs are dead. They jumped off the cliff. You've got to come out here and see what's going on. And the whole town, they come running out there. Now, once that happens, think with me now. Would it not make sense for the for the townspeople at this point to say, at least, thank you for solving that problem. 
And you just solved the biggest problem we've ever had in our town. This guy, he's terrorized the place for years. He's hurt people. He's broken things. He's caused damage. He's upset our families and, and, and everything. I mean, thank you for at least taking care of that. Does not it make sense that they would say that? But they did not. Does it not make sense that they would say, not only thank you for doing that, but, you know, we, we've heard about this Jesus. We, we've heard about you. Can, you. can you teach us some of the things you were teaching people on the other side of the sea? Can, can you, we know you can do miracles and you just transformed this man's life. There's some sick folks in town. Could you hang around for just a little while and we'll bring those sick people to you? A lot of times people did that when Jesus was around. They bring their sick folks. It makes sense that they would have heard that and they would have some some idea that that was going on. And they would have said, oh, we've got some people who are sick. Can we bring them? We've got people with other problems. Can we come see you? But they didn't. They passed on the opportunity. Instead, they came and they said, go away. We don't want you here. You just fixed our biggest problem. You can solve all the other problems we got, but we don't want you here. Go away. And I told you the other night, the danger in telling Jesus to go away is that he might just go away. And he does. The next thing he does is get back in the boat and they head to the other side. Can you imagine Why in the world would they pass on this opportunity when they've got Jesus standing right in their midst to ask questions, to take the benefit of what he can do and what he can teach? And instead, they tell him to leave. I submit to you that the reasons they told him to go away are the same reasons that people still tell him to go away. Happens all the time, all the time. You see, first of all, they told him to go away because he reminded them of their sin. People don't want to be reminded of sin. They want to they want to rename it and push it away and pretend it's not there. And by the way, they had probably gotten used to the crazy guy who lives up in the tombs. Yeah, he's scary when he runs through town. Yeah, we prefer not to have our kids have to see that, but, but we can control it and we can hide them and, and he'll go through and it'll all be over. And the first night that he screamed in the tombs all night, that was a scary night. That was a rough one. I mean, the kids are afraid to go to bed. The, the wife is scared. Everybody's scared. You got the doors locked. You're sitting there with your, with your whatever kind of weapon they had. I was going to say your gun, but they probably didn't have a gun. They weren't in the dispensation of rifles. Amen. (laughs) It was terrifying. The first night. And the second night. And the third night. But the longer it goes on. The less terrifying it gets. Until it's just the way it is. You, You know what happens when you live next to the train tracks? You don't hear the trains anymore. You can go visit somebody who lives next to the train tracks. The whole house shakes and the terrible noise and they just go on like everything's fine. Why? Because it happens so often. They're used to it and it doesn't even register anymore. Listen, the first few nights, the first few weeks, the guy's up there all night long screaming and crying and cutting himself. They're probably afraid he's killing somebody or somebody's killing him or some terrible thing's going on. But after it goes on and on and on and on. 
That's just the guy on the hill. Don't worry, it could even be the wind. We're not really sure what it is, but it's not a problem anymore because we're used to it. There was probably somebody who said, you know, he was just born that way. That's just, he was born that way, and he has a natural propensity to do those things, and so leave him alone. He was born that God made him that way. There was probably somebody that stupid who said that, amen. Somebody probably said, well, you know, he's, he's made choices in his life, and they're not the same choices I would make, but he made choices, and, and that's where he is, and his choices are as good as anybody else's choices. That sounds like a reasonable argument, doesn't it? Others would have said, well, you know, he had, a, he had a rough childhood. You don't understand, Brother Knox. He grew up in a rough home. And his dad was hard and his mother was overbearing. And, and he was the oldest and had to provide. Or he was the youngest and everybody picked on him. Or he was in the middle and, and he had a rough time. And there's a million excuses. Oh, I know what it was. It was when he was in the fifth grade and somebody bullied him at school. That day, everything snapped. I mean, you know, it's, it's like the worst thing that could ever happen. And, and, and it happened. And, and he got bullied in school. And so there he is now. And so just, just leave him alone. I, I, he, he deserves to be able to live this way. Because of his past and all the hard things that he's gone through. Are you with me? And, and they like to, uh, they like to think maybe even that they've become a little bit tolerant. They're loving. They're tolerant. They're not going to judge that man up on the hill. After all, they could be up there someday. And so, hey, just be tolerant of everything except Jesus. And when Jesus showed up and he said, the problem is the devil and the devil needs to be thrown out of here. All of a sudden they realized all the other things they'd said all these years about how he got that way and why he was the way he was. Those weren't really the problem. The problem was that the devil was there. It was a sin problem. Can I tell you a little secret? Jesus is the solution for your sin problem. But if you won't admit that your problem is sin, he can't help you. We used to have something when I was growing up that, that we don't have anymore. I'm not sure where they've all gone. Uh, they've just disappeared, kind of like the flu did in 2020. We had it cured for about a year and it came back, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> oh, loosen up a little. It's all right. It's okay. And, and there were, you know, there were all these people with all kinds of ideas. And, and, and when I was growing up, we had certain folks that you stayed away from. There was one guy, we were just there last week. We were there last week in Saldotna, Alaska. And after we got done eating on Wednesday night after church with the preacher in town, we were out looking for moose. And we saw about four that night and got some good pictures. If you want to see moose pictures, we got moose pictures. And, and we're just driving around, you know, 1030 at night. The sun is shining. That is prime moose time. I'm telling you, they love to be out about 1030 at night when the sun is shining, just like people mowing their lawn. So you see a lawnmower and a moose. There you go there. And you're all set. And, and we're looking for some moose and we drove through the, through the little area where I grew up. And I pointed out to my family, right up that road, there was a drunk. That driveway. 
It's right on the corner there. And every day we'd have to walk from the house out to the road to catch the school bus up uphill both ways in the snow. Just like you did. Amen. And you had to go past this driveway and us kids would all play out in the road. You know, we'd ride our bicycles and we'd play all kinds of stuff out in the road. And, and if the ball went up that driveway at that house, you just wrote it off as a lost ball. Because there's a drunk up there and he's mean and he's nasty and he's mean to his own family and his wife. And, and he yells at anybody who comes in the yard, uh, just a dirty, nasty old drunk. We don't have those anymore. What a blessing. Now we just have people with substance abuse issues. You know, they're just going about their life and some substance just grabs them and, and it's got them. And it just happens. And I don't know, maybe it's hereditary. Who knows? It just happens. You know, you know, uh, you know what really happens? We don't call it sin. And if it's not sin, we don't have to get right with God. And so we never do, and it never gets fixed, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. You see, there's, people like to rename their sin so that it doesn't sound so sinful. So now we have alternate lifestyles. We have gender preference. Yeah. Parents have gender reveal parties for their children when they're like 10. Because who knows what it is up to that point. It could have been a puppy. Who knows? And we got to decide what it is now. Or better yet, let it decide. When it doesn't even know which way is up, you're going to let it decide what it is. Now, I understand we're probably on live stream and all the rest. This may be your last time. Because I'm just, I'm going to tell you the truth. Are you ready? I'm just going to give you truth, just, just plain truth. There are only two sexes. And I know today they even like to say gender and sex are not the same thing. Well, that's a lie, and they know that too. There's only two genders. Male and female created he them. That's what your Bible says. That's how God created mankind, male and female. Now, if there's something other than that... It is some kind of a medical anomaly, and the percentage is so tiny, it's really not even worth looking at. But if it happens, it's a medical problem. You understand? Because God created male and female. Today we are told that you can choose at any point which you want to be. And then you can take the appropriate... uh, hormones and such to to inhibit what God intended your body to do and not allow it to develop the way it's supposed to develop and try to make it develop another way. And then you can have surgeries and cut off parts and so on parts and create fake parts and all kinds of stuff. And you can become the other one. Now, just hang on. Hold on. Grab the pube. That's a lie. Whatever you were born and you only get two options. Male or female. That's what you are. That's what you will be all of your life. You may not be a good one, but that's what you'll be. (laughs) And when you die, a hundred years from now, when they dig up your, your dust and your bones, all they have to do is a very simple little test. And you know what they'll determine right away? Which one of the two you are. Because it'll be exactly the same as when you were born. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, don't be a science denier. That's science, amen? I mean, that's real science there. That's provable. You can do that one over and over. That's not just some fairy tale like evolution. This is real science, amen? So if you choose to live as the opposite of what you were born, if you were born male and you choose to live female, or you were female and you choose to live male, the crux of your problem is this. You are living in rebellion against God. That's what you're doing. And that is sin. And when you come to the place where you realize I'm living in rebellion against God and I want to get the sin problem taken care of, Jesus has the answer for your problem. But as long as you're convinced that it's not sin, it's preference, it's, it's choice, it's, you will not only not get it fixed, but it will get worse and worse and worse and worse. Go ahead, check the suicide statistics. For people who get the surgeries and do the hormones, they don't live long lives. And it's not that they're accident prone. They take their own lives. Because they come to a point where they can no longer pretend and no longer be in rebellion against God and be satisfied. And their whole life falls apart and mentally and emotionally and everything else. And physically, it just completely disintegrates and they end up taking their own lives. But if you'll come to the place where you admit that it's sin, there's a solution for that. But if you don't admit that it's sin, there's no solution. You've got to come to the place where you realize the problem is sin and then Jesus can solve your problem. As long as you are insisting that it's not sin, that it's something else, it will never get fixed. You say, well, I'm glad we don't have drunks and perverts in our church. Well, praise God. I hope you don't. We have other sins that we like to rename. And they are just as dangerous. Pride? Really? Listen, pride's broken more relationships than, than a man showing up at the house in a dress. Let's be honest. It's messed up more homes and, and ruined more relationships and destroyed more churches. Bitterness? You see, our problem is we just don't like to call it what it is. Well, well, no, it's not pride because God says that's a sin. No, no, that's not what it is. I'm just, I'm self-assured. Everybody else is just wrong. I'm not proud. <laughs> and if we can rename it so that it's not sin, then we don't have to go get it fixed. The problem is then it continues to do its dirty work. And it continues to destroy. Well, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. You, you just don't understand the situation. I was hurt. I was hurt. And, and of course, I feel badly that I got hurt. And, and I, I'm not bitter. No, no, no. You misunderstood all that that I just told you about how awful, whatever, you know, how everybody's just wicked and vile. You misunderstood that. I'm not really bitter. Why? Because if I have to admit that I'm bitter, I've just admitted it's sin. Ooh. But you, but they hurt me. Yeah, right. Now, I'm not trying to be cavalier about it, but yes, welcome to the club. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything about the fact that they hurt you. 
You can't change the fact of what they did or what they said or their attitude. You can't change any of that. All you can change is your reaction to it. And make sure that your heart is right. Because if you allow bitterness to take root here, you have just given Satan a free victory. He got them to do something awful and he got you to be bitter. And now he's destroyed two people instead of one. Don't give him any freebies. He gets enough on his own. Amen. You see, it's not just. uh, Yeah. And yes, more churches have been destroyed by bitterness than by the deacon who got drunk. Because people look at the deacon who got drunk and said, wow, I thought he'd do that a month ago. I was surprised he waited this long. Yeah. But if we let bitterness grow, it'll just keep growing and it'll keep destroying everything around it. And it'll keep infecting other people. And next thing you know, nobody wants to sit in a place full of bitter people. And everything falls apart. We've got to admit that it is what it is. And get it right before God. Jesus showed up and he said, the problem is that there's devils in this man and they've got to be cast out. There's sin here that has to be dealt with. And they said, no, we don't want to deal with that. If he's got a sin problem, maybe our other problems are sin too. And we don't want to talk about that. Just go away. Not only did he remind them of their sin, but he threatened their lifestyle. Where this all goes haywires when the pigs run in the ocean. They go down and they all drown, 2,000 of them. Now that's a lot of pigs. A few, a few weeks ago, we were in a place and I was talking to a guy, his family is in the professional pork production business. You know, they, they raise pigs and send them off to slaughter and make sausage and bacon and thank God for that. Praise the Lord. And I said, now is this 2,000? This seems to me to be a lot of pigs. I mean, that's a lot of pigs. He said, well, yes, actually, that's a, a massive herd of pigs. He said, we're in this professional business. Our herd runs between 14 and 1600. That's in 2023 in the professional pork producing business. This is all the way back then in this agrarian society. And this is not one guy's herd of pigs. Nobody had a herd of 2000 pigs. This is everybody's pigs. Everybody in town, this is their livelihood. This is like the steel mill where everybody works or the coal mine where everybody works. And when it shuts down and it's gone, the town is gone. It dies. And what just happened is the entire economy of the whole area jumped in the sea and drowned itself. And they come running and our, our pigs are gone. Now, why would Jesus do such a hurtful thing? Remember, the the devils asked if they could go into the pigs. But think with me for a minute. Now, we're we're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's the area of Decapolis, the Gadarenes, the Gergesenes in in another passage. And there is some mixed population over here. But you know who mostly these people are? Oh. And they are still under the law of Moses. That's their guide. That's their rule book. That's what they're supposed to be living by. And what is their entire livelihood built on? Pig herding. They're not supposed to, they're not supposed to eat pork. They're not supposed to have pig. They're not supposed to touch a pig. They're supposed to stay clear of all of that. And their entire economy is built on pig herding. Does that help you understand why when the devil said, can we go into those pigs? Jesus says, sure. My pleasure. Go right ahead. 
Two problems solved at once. You see, this man is delivered and now the pig problem is taken care of. Just like that. What, what was going on here? The whole area is living in rebellion against God. Does that again help you understand why the devils wanted to stay there? They've already got control here. They've got control over the whole thing and they like it that way and they want to stay in this area. And so when Jesus sends them into the pigs and the pigs go in the sea, now that took care of the pig problem, but it also destroyed the entire economy of the area. And those people came and they said, you need to leave now. You just messed with my lifestyle. I've discovered, Brother Sal, that a lot of people don't want to go to hell. But a lot of people also don't want Jesus to mess with their lifestyle. And if they have to choose, quite often they'll make the same choice these people did. They will. They really do. Matthew Henry said this, Being loath to quit either their sins or the swine, they chose rather to abandon the Savior. That's scary, isn't it? It's kind of like the, like the uh, Christian restaurant owner who decides he needs to serve alcohol in his restaurant because there's a good profit margin. And he, he would never drink it. Oh, oh, he wouldn't do that. He's just providing it to others. That's probably what these people said. We, we don't eat pork. That would be against the law. We only raise pigs because the Romans eat pork and they buy it from us. And this is a good stream of income. Except God said, don't have it at all. Just like he said about the alcohol. Not only don't look at it, don't drink it, but don't give it to your neighbor. That's, that's in black and white in your Bible, by the way. I make that one up. That's in there. Oh, but, but that's my livelihood and that's my income. What if we just trusted God enough? To do what he already said. By the way, some things you don't have to pray about. When God has already said, don't do this, you don't have to pray about whether you should do it. It's not a matter of prayer. It's a matter of obedience. And so you just do what God said, and then you trust him to make up the difference. And he will. He'll make up the difference. They told him to go away because he reminded them of their sin. They told him to go away because he threatened their lifestyle. And then finally, they told him to go away because he was forcing them to make a decision. You see, if, if they stay there and they listen to him, they've got to decide whether to accept what he says or reject what he says. And so what they did is what a lot of people do. They said, we're not going to think about this right now. Just go away. Just leave us alone. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about the pigs. We don't want to talk about any of that. Just, just leave us alone and we'll deal with this some other time. We've got some fresh piglets to raise right now. You see, a lot of people think that they can just decide later that they want to be saved, that they want to follow Jesus. So we'll just put it off right now. The problem is, God didn't promise you a later. Really. Have you ever, have you ever talked to somebody? Listen, if you've, if you've knocked on many doors or talked to people about their soul, sooner or later, somebody has said to you, yes, I know all that. I grew up in church. I know all that stuff. And I'm going to do that before I die. 
before I die, I'm going to get saved. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to take care of that someday. Just not today. Someday I'm going to take care of that. Good. Great. I'll make you a deal. If you could tell us when you're going to die. I mean, we don't need just the year. We need the month. We need the week. We need the day of the week. And if you can give us the time of day, that would be helpful. And I promise, Brother Marshall, can we put that in the computer so that when the church calendar is printed out, it says right there, Ethel's going to die on Tuesday. Unless your name is Ethel, forget what I just said. <laughs> Bernice, that's who's going to die on Tuesday. Unless you... Oh. And then when it's printed out and it pops up there and it says the second Tuesday in August, that's when it's going to happen. You know what? You know what will happen on Monday? The preacher and several others, they'll show up at your house with the Bible and say, here's the gospel. How would you like to get saved today? And you can get saved on Monday and die on Tuesday. Now, that's a great deal, is it not? Except for one minor problem. Just one little problem. And you don't know when that day is. You don't know when that week is. You don't know when that month is. You don't know when that year is. You don't know. So oh, I know because I have this disease and the doctor said I have two more years. The doctor doesn't have a clue. You know as well as I do. You could last four years or you could be gone in six months. Or it could be something entirely different from your disease that takes your life next week. Really could. You don't know. Well, I'm not old yet. Well, then go walk through the cemetery. Read the dates on there. How old are you? 14? Did you know there's a bunch of 14-year-olds in the cemetery? How old are you? Oh, another one. Same thing. How about you? Don't tell me you're 14. I won't believe you. 11? Okay. There's a bunch of 11-year-olds, too. And 20-year-olds. And 30-year-olds. And 40 and 50 and 60 and 70. Uh, We think just old people die. No, no, that's not true at all. Everybody dies, and you don't know when. And if you say to Jesus today, go away, you're taking a risk right there. Because he gets in the boat and he goes away. Listen, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, please don't fall into the foolish trap of thinking, well, I'm going to wait until Christmas or Easter or this special day. No, 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 don't do that. The devil is so messed up that he'll see to it you don't get to that day. Don't do that. Now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow, not next year. No, if you're here tonight, you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Don't tell him to go away. Accept him. I can almost understand somebody in today's culture where religion and the things of God are so minimized and mocked and blasphemed who would be cautious of trusting Christ as Savior. I understand that just because of where we are culturally. You know what I don't understand? Save people. Save people. Who wall off areas in their life. And say, Jesus, you get me to heaven. Stay out of that, and that, and that, and that's mine. Don't touch that. I know what the Bible says about that, but no, that's mine. You know what you're doing? Same thing these people did. You're saying, go away. Well, you can, you can be right in this part. 
but you'd best keep your hands off that part. I'm not going to deal with that sin. I'm not going to deal with that problem and that habit. I'm not going to deal with this. And I'm not going to let you make decisions about that part of my life. I have that well in hand. And you are doing the most foolish thing in all the world. You're telling Jesus to go away. And you know what happens when you tell him to go away often enough out of some area of your life? He will get in the boat and go away. And he'll quit bothering you. And your conscience will get so seared that you don't even feel the tap on your shoulder from the Holy Spirit anymore. And he won't bother you anymore. And you will plunge on through the darkness of your preconceived idea of what your life ought to be. And it will end in disaster as a saved person. Oh, uh, it's terrible for a lost person to tell Jesus to go away. But it's just as bad for a saved person. These folks made the most foolish decision in all their lives. There was the Son of God standing in front of them. And they said, go away. But this man, this man who's delivered, he wants to go. He doesn't want to stay. He doesn't want to go back where he was. He, he, want, he just wants to go with Jesus. That's understandable, is it not? And Jesus says, you can't go. I, I got a job for you. You got to go home and tell everybody what God did for you. And he did. As a matter of fact, our passage tells us that he went and he published it through all the capitalists. He didn't just go back to the house or back. To, he went through the whole area and he told everybody. I suspect someday, someday, someday in heaven, off in eternity, you're going to meet a whole bunch of people from the area of Decapolis. Who, when this man came through their town and they said, aren't you that guy that was all messed up? And, and he said, yeah, that's what I was. And then I met this guy named Jesus and he fixed it all. You need to get to know him. And people made it their business to find out who Jesus was and to begin to follow him. And all of a sudden, everything changed. And someday you're going to meet some folks from that area. You know what else is going to happen off in eternity in the future? There's going to be a whole bunch of people from that little town right there who are in hell right now and still will be a million years from now. Because when Jesus was standing there, their response was not teach us and tell us more. It was go away. That's sad, isn't it? That's sad. You see, it's a dangerous thing. If you're lost, it's dangerous Tell Jesus to go away. If you're saved, it's just as dangerous because it'll damage your life. Don't do it. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. Lord, I pray that these simple thoughts uh, would take root in our hearts, our minds. Lord, I, I don't know, God, there might be somebody here tonight. Somebody that was invited by friends. Somebody who's never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Lord, if that's the case, I pray they would understand that all that could change tonight. All of the sin that they walked in that door with, be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. They can be truly free, forgiven, on their way to heaven, a new creature in Christ. And that could happen tonight, this very night. Lord, for each and every saved person in this room, God, I pray you would help us not to be so foolish as to think we have the right to tell you to get out of certain areas of our life. 
What a horrible, horrible mistake that would be. God, I pray you'd help us to find those areas and say, God, come in. Just come in. Jesus, I need help in this area. I need help in this place. I need help with that problem. Come in. Don't go away. Come in. God, help us to do that tonight. And we'll just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.